0: Uh, Go ahead, uh, Buzz, talk for me for a sec. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Check, check, check. Dan, do yours
1: again, please.
2: Test 1, 2, 1, 2.
1: Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. After completing the worst May in club history, can fans hope for a more Seattle-like September? And now that we've seen the group stage of the U-20s, is Paxton call the only quality attacking midfielder, not just for Dallas, but for the entire United States? And Ricardo Pepe, is he the high-speed bullet train that we've all been waiting for our entire life? Joining us on the pod today is our normal duo, along with myself, by the way, I'm Peter, all the way from uh, lands afar, rejoining us now that he's feeling better, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. How are you this time around?
2: Hi, Peter. I'm I'm good. I was fine last time. I just wasn't in town, uh, and I'm also uh, calling in from DFW Airport, where I'm currently in a suit with a nice uh, chauffeur's hat, holding an iPad that says "Pomacol," <laughs> awaiting his return soon, right? And of course, that's the uh, jolly laughter
1: of our founder and leader, editor of Third Degree Net, and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick, come in, Buzz.
0: Hello, gentlemen. I'm calling in today from Frisco, Texas, where the U-17 and U-19 Academy sides are about to play their final developmental Academy games of the season.
1: We are uh, recording this just on the heels of the U-20 third group stage game for the United States. They, uh, spoiler alert, may want to pause it if you haven't watched the game yet, uh, they beat... Qatar today won nothing. And I have to say, uh, I think we're progressing as a soccer nation when I'm sour about a 1 0 World Cup win.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think in hindsight, Qatar might have been uh, a better team than the Ukraine, even though they lost to them. They certainly look a little more dangerous today. Uh, although, I think it's clear and we laughed about it and, and sort of, but it really is true that without Paxton Pomichal, uh, the U twenties don't have any ideas either. They're just as much a disaster in the midfield without that kid as FC Dallas is, you know, I, the w- watching the U twenties, Dirk and Cervena and Mendez just stood there looking at each other the whole game. You know, the, no one was linking, no one was rotating no one was showing and the, the midfield flow was disastrous. So hopefully, um, The U.S. can recover before they play, likely play
1: France. I mean, that's not official yet, but. Uh, that's a tough Oops. hurdle because that might be the best team in the tournament. Well two of those three aren't even going to be involved because of uh Tab Ramos's odd coaching uh decision making today. He's now without both Mendez and Durkin, who got yellow cards today uh which means they're not available which means Paxton, Servania, and probably I'm going to get I'm going to guess uh, the other kid he subbed in uh Lanez, I can't remember no. What's the kid he subbed in late in the midfield? It's not it's not going to be Sirio. It'd be the kid that he used today. Um, oh, Ledesma. Ledesma. Thank you. I couldn't remember his yeah. name. I, I suppose it would be those three, uh, for Tuesday. But, uh, I, I don't know about you guys. You know, it's funny because this is clearly the most qualified, experienced group of under 20s the U.S. has ever rolled out, and, I, and I've and i said this to a few friends of mine over the last week And watching this team, is I've spent the entirety of my American watching fandom uh, yelling at the TV because Americans have no confidence on the ball and they just tend to panic clear the ball away at the slightest bit of pressure. But all this week, all of my bitching at the television has been because these guys are too overconfident on the ball, won't make a simple pass, and tend to lose it in the worst of possible places because of that and maybe maybe in its odd weird way that is progress
0: yeah the U17 teams even worse at least the 20s at least pass a little bit you know particularly when Paxton's in there um, it is a different era you know we now expect to win all the certainly all the group games we now expect to win when we're watching them um, the confidence is real I mean these are pros now these guys are adults they're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old they're, they've all been pros for more than a year most cases sometimes two or three you know these are not uh, little baby college kids or or high schoolers that have no idea anymore. These are now full boat professional players that are going out there and taking on other professional players. So it is a different era. And and as an FC Dallas fan, you you got to hope that Surreal being the only pure holding mid really on the team, that you might get a Surreal servania Paxton Pommacco combo next game. That might be a lot of fun to watch from a local perspective.
1: Dan, since uh, your motherland's not in the tournament or even bothering to watch this time,
2: nah. Not really. Um, I'm keeping up with the US, but no. It's you know it's inconvenient being during the day. It's not always easy to sneak in watching a game of soccer during work.
1: I know, but you can record it and watch it later on, can't you?
2: I've never understood people doing that. To be honest, well, what it's watch? live sports.
1: You don't watch games on tape or DVR. No. Never. No. So if you can't watch a sporting event. Or even if Luton Town was available, you would only watch it live.
2: Yeah. Um, Take earlier in in the year. Um, Had the chance to either watch Luton lift the uh, the League One trophy in the whole game or go to Houston and watch uh, FC Dallas play Houston. It was a choice of one or the other. And which did you choose? I watched Luton win the league.
1: <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Good for you.
2: There was had, less smog and humidity.
1: <laughs> the other comment, that uh, the other epiphany I had today uh, was, uh, while I, I've been impressed with a lot of the kids uh, on this team and a lot of the performances, and there's been a, a level of disappointment in some areas, if I had to point my finger at uh, a player or players that I've been the most disappointed in, it's the two guys that play for the two biggest clubs, Timothy Weah and uh, Conrad de la Frete, who plays for Barcelona. I, I, neither one of those guys has done anything for me uh, in terms of all of the hype that comes with the, them because they, you know, one plays for PSG and one plays for, you know, theoretically the best club in the world.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting situation. You know, one of the things that um, one or two scouts have pointed out to me over the years is that uh, when they come scout, uh, our clubs here in America and they come scout Americans, you know, when they see like a nifty little number 10 type player in the middle of the field, they don't, they don't care about guys like that, but they come to watch an American team play and they look at like a guy that's basically a track star running up and down the flanks. That that's the guy that's that try, grab their attention and make them say, that's, that's a dude we want to sign and bring in because they don't have that. And that's one of the reasons why a guy like for and anyway, like Brian Reynolds is so interesting to people outside of this club is because he has a skill set. That is in terms of his athleticism and size that they just don't have in a lot of countries. So um, sometimes the, those guys that are playing for those big, huge clubs that are American aren't necessarily um, your Paxton Pomichols. Uh Christian Pulisic is probably the weird example, of, uh, non-example of that. But, you know, otherwise they're attracted to these uh, American track stars. And, and that's just because you're at a big club doesn't mean that, you know. Uh, How to play soccer at a high level yet. What you hope is that those big clubs teach those guys how to play that way as a great example of a guy that's not particularly soccer smart, but, you know, is able to score the winner today. So you got to give him credit for being a gamer and a big play player and rising to the occasion.
1: Yeah, the, the, he finally converted a really good opportunity and it was when they needed it at most. So I should give him credit for that. And overall, I've really enjoyed watching, uh, this group of players. Um, I've been really confused and I'm still very much, uh, to be determined on what I think about Todd Ramos as a coach and some of his decisions. Uh, and today in particular, when he really let, like, I couldn't I couldn't figure out why he waited so long to sub out Cervania once Durkin got his yellow card because it Cervania was already on a yellow and he was in danger of at any moment having neither Durkin or Savania available for the next game. And he took way too long to get that kid out. Um yeah, uh, so uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Obviously, France would be a really tough test and, and missing a couple of players won't make it any easier. But uh, uh, overall, I've enjoyed what I've seen from the team um, in terms of their willingness to kind of impress themselves on the game and, and dictate the style of play, which isn't something we always see from the United States at, the inter- at, at this level of international play.
0: I'm with you on the Ramos uh, questions because he started, I think it was four players today that were on yellow cards and two of the four are now out. I mean, for me, Dirk has been terrible anyway, so I'm actually happy he's out. But um, Mendez is going to be a loss, and there could have been even more of them. So he made some risky choices today. But, you know, as you say, it's nice to see the young kids actually uh, playing with confidence and looking like they feel like they're better than everybody they're playing, which I think has been the case. I think they've been better than every team they played so far.
2: It's kind of funny now um, mentioning Ty Bromish's odd selection a lot of FC Dallas fans who were plugging for Tab Ramos during the winter suddenly having that realization that maybe the grass is greener on this side
1: yeah that's a really good point there were a lot of people that were pushing hard for uh, Ramos to become the coach after Perea. um and it, you know it would have been an, it would have been an obvious solution for a guy that had at least a little bit more experience than Lucci did but um let's see how the rest of the tournament goes before we uh, uh, yeah. you know close the book on on him all the way together. But uh, I'm glad. Oh, by the way, so the U.S., it appears, will more than likely play France, uh, potentially Mali on Tuesday of next week uh, in the round of 16, I suppose it is. Yes. Uh, yeah. In the World Cup over in Poland. All right. Now, since uh, Dan mentioned FC Dallas, uh, let's get yeah. into that. FC all Dallas right. uh, now 18 points in 14 games. They are right on the line. Uh, the dividing line on the good side of the dividing line of the playoffs. They are nine points out from last place and 16 out from first place. And uh the 2-1 loss in Vancouver finished up. This was officially the worst month of May in club history since the rebranding. And it ties the worst month of May in the entire history of the club. The, they went 0-4-2 uh, in May, and that has only been duplicated once before in the 4 season, back uh, when they were the Dallas Burn, and they ended up in last place in the Western Conference. There were only eight teams in the league at that time. And the only other season that was ever even close to that, and here would be your uh, shining hope, uh, and Hopeful Star is the 2014 season when they went 0-4-2 uh, in the month of May, and that's the season they lost to the Sounders in the Western Conference Final.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this month has reinforced what we've always felt about Major League Soccer. Well, first of all, let's say this: the team is right where we all expected it to be, is it not? This is right where we thought that it would be at this point in the season. All of us, on at least on this channel for sure, um, but this re- this this run reinforces what we've said all along about MLS is that nobody really has a whole lot of depth in this league. When you miss three or four players from injury and a couple more, not from injury, excuse me, from call-ups and a couple more from injuries, it goes south in a hurry. Nobody's got in this league as a full set of, uh, you know, legit starters across the board. And, and in for, particular for this team, as we've talked about now for multiple weeks, you took out the MVP. You took out their best player, really, which is amazing that we say that. Pax and Pomico, and they've just fallen to pieces. You know, it's just it's not working across any stretch of, of, of the play and of the of the of what you want them to play. It's none of it's working. So I they got a hole to dig out of and maybe they're gonna start getting some pieces back, but I think just again they're about to lose some more pieces. So it's gonna be a tough uh, stretch through the end of June and July, to be honest, with all these guys missing.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that, this upcoming schedule here in a second. It was, again, Vancouver 2, Dallas 1. It was kind of a weird game. Um, and especially the shocker of the opening goal for Vancouver which came from um, their player splitting Reggie and Barrios, who appeared to have a good beat on him, but neither one of them really seemed to put in a quality effort to stop him. And then he got past them, uh, and then he didn't get closed down by anybody. Uh, specifically, the one player I want to point out is Brian Acosta, who I thought was ball-watching on both of the uh, uh, Vancouver goals. Um, and then he just made a really sweet finish to uh, push it to the far corner uh, and make it one nothing. You know, the, the big surprise, guys, to start off this game was Lucci's decision to start Ryan Hollingshead at center back, a position he's never played for this team ever. And I don't know if he's ever played it before yet Um, And we knew Ziegler was hurt. And what happened to Colin Montgomery? What what do you guys think was behind that decision?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, the first thing's going to be trust. Uh, does the, uh, the coach and staff have the trust that, in him to to have ninety minutes or to have something that doesn't burn a sub. Um, there's also the communication. You know, uh, picking up his English. I um, say picking up. When he got off the plane to Dallas, didn't speak a word of English. Um, now speaking Portuguese, you know, is automatically passable Spanish. Uh, Ryan Hollinshead speaks speak Spanish. Reto speak Spanish. Um, Colin Montgomery. Don't think so. Um, so, you know, there's the possibility of, of lapses in communication there, particularly when it's your two leaders um, out putting a rookie in there.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing I would say about Cal, Cal Montgomery, and, I, and I'm and i not knocking him because he's a kid, young kid with some potential, but his weak spot um, right now, at least coming into this season, and he has gotten better at it, but his weak spot is passing. And in the Lucci system – uh, particularly as a center back, we've already we talked about how many touches our center backs get, how many how how high the percentage passing they are. Remember all the stats about leading the league and passes and to each other and all that stuff. So you can't stick a guy in there that can't pass in Lucci's system. So that's for me. That's probably the main reason why you get a Hollings hitter in, in there who, uh, as a defender, is passing at the highest clip of anybody on the team. So I think that's the idea. But I do think it backfired. I think if Hedges is in there, then I think Dallas wins that game because you, you mentioned Acosta, who I think has not been as a good holding six. On both those goals, I thought Hollingshead made a mistake. On the first goal, he does not; he just stands in the middle and waits. He doesn't come out to supporters uh, wide, which you have to do as a center back. And on the second goal, uh, the ball's coming in on a cross for where Bresson's got it, and he makes a poor header. But Holling said, "Charge forward to get the header too, rather than letting Bresson just deal with it." And so, when the ball went past and not wasn't cleared well, Cannon was left with two players, so one of which is uh, Martino. So, you know, it, it's not um, well, excuse me Montero. I can pronounce his name correctly. So, uh, it's not a guy you want to leave open with one one marker on him. So, I, you know, for me, that, that's a game where Dallas played its Luchi ball again and dominated possession and played the way they want to play, got lots of shots. Uh, I talked in my breakdown about the poor shooting efficiency, which was terrible. But, you know, all the signs and all the indications of what Dallas wants to do were there other than some breakdowns when you, where you were missing personnel. It gets back to the same idea. When you take out a guy who's a former defender of the year and put in a guy who's never played there, it's not going to be good. And that's what's going on with Dallas right now.
2: I thought that the first goal was kind of six or one half and a dozen or the other between Hollinshead and Acosta. There's a point, I mean, Hollinshead's got Montero and he's just looking at at, um, Acosta to drop back and and close that channel and he just doesn't. Um, But both goals, both moves, uh, the moves for both goals, sorry, started with just free passing in in the middle. That, That middle third of the field, there was, well, Jesus Ferreira had to drop back eventually because Acosta just went nowhere. I mean, he's the—granted, it's a double pivot, but he's more of that step-up eight player, and he just disappeared in both places.
1: So defensive oddities aside, and obviously because of the situation with uh, Rito and Hedges, uh, that creates a—that forces the situation, but we do continue to have—we uh, uh we do continue to see some significant— uh, problems in the attack uh, the team didn't have a shot on goal until the 63rd minute and that was by your <laughs> that was by one of your center backs they only had three other shots on goal uh the rest of the game and again if you just go look at a passing map the amount of passing in the box or immediately in danger areas around the box is just not there in any way Uh and you know You just begin to wonder how this is going to work. At you know how this was supposed to work. They knew Paxton was going to be gone, so you assume that the plan all along has been Pablo Orangis. But man, that kid can't do anything. Uh, And then it gets highlighted by the fact that he has an open net and he misses it and hits the crossbar. um, And then subsequently, shortly thereafter, gets subbed off and kind of throws a hissy fit. Uh, and now we won't see him again for a while. This team really has a significant problem, uh, in creation, uh, at this point. And and it's not clear how it's going to get solved until Paxton comes back, assuming he returns.
0: Yeah. The, the, the final ball into the final third is not good. Um, you know, in terms of like creating opportunities to get balls in, you know, Dallas had 35 crosses to five for the other team you know, they have 13 corners. So it's not necessarily that they're not putting themselves in the right spot in terms of like right outside the final third and right outside the box. It's the final connection. It's the final pass. And, and maybe that's one of the products of, of having a youngish team. Maybe that's one of the products of, of missing so many people, particularly as you just mentioned, Pax and who's uh, clearly at this point, everything in terms of the final attacking third, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on um, why it doesn't work um Ar- Arangis has tried to make the passes and I will admit that like over the last couple of games they're better with him than they are without him I think but um you know because that may be because the option is to bring in Andresic and and have Ferreira and not as the 10 and that's I mean, I like Chris Ferreira, but I mean th- that's a bad combo. You know, it's none of it is working the way you want it to work. The whole team is set up to take advantage of, you know, the 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 double eight uh, cost Acosta combo, and right now you're not getting it because you're having to use Acosta as a holder, and you're having paxton has gone. So right now there are very few solutions, and and which way they're going to go and how they're going to solve this thing is that's why Lucci's getting paid the big bucks theoretically.
1: Quick question, uh, is is the story written on Arangis at this point? And if so... It where do you think it went wrong? Is it just a function of just it being in his head or maybe he, or is it a function of he's just not as good as he was hyped to be? Uh, you know, I, I, this game in particular, I was super frustrated. He turned the ball over on, you know, barely forced errors three times in the first 15 minutes of the game. It appears that anytime somebody passes him a ball to midfield, if a defender wants to press him hard, he's really easy to dispossess. And I just wonder is, is that just in his head or is he, is that just his game?
0: Well, he is still twenty two um, which is in international terms you start to think that that's you kind of know who he is at this point, but he still should have five or six seasons of development ahead of him. My guess would be or my take is that um, the Chilean league is not particularly vertical it's pretty side to side and pass the ball around and and um, not not uh Urgent in its play, you know, so he's not quite used to this um, MLS track meet sort of style, particularly when you're talking about playing with Baji and Barrios and, uh, you know, guys that want to go get in behind, you know, on this from the wings and play this. So I think Arangis is probably not used to this splitting sort of pass idea, you know, where he's he's trying to time it perfectly. And he's used to more of a I think more of a, um, um, you know, Two or three man little combos, and then and, and maybe play like a softball in behind, and somebody can come. I, I just think there's a style problem with him in the league. I, I would not write him off yet. It has only been what 20 games, and uh, in, a, in a career in this, this league, and, and really that as, as Marro Diaz said, that's really only half a season still, a little over half, but it's still only half a season. So I, I'm not I'm not ready to write him off, but clearly it's not working in terms of. How he's interfacing with the league. And, and I mean, he's, he's leaving town. So uh, we're going to find out if somebody else can play that spot. You know, it, it's going to be hard for him to get back on the field after he comes back because Paxton will be back too. So it's going to be tough for him.
1: Yeah, we found out after the fact. Uh, uh, and I'm still confused how this seemed to get by everybody. The club didn't even announce it until almost a week after uh, it came out from the Chilean national federation that he's leaving to go join the u23 chilean team in Toulon for that tournament uh which seemed to come out of nowhere and congratulations to him and i hope he has a nice time in france but we all found it out when i think it was the uh uh i guess was that the guys over at 19th minute saw it on an instagram post yeah. or something so uh, <laughs> i i it just i, I don't know I, I think the other, the thought about that was, is that now that he's going to be gone for a while, that gives a great opportunity for Thomas Roberts, who I want to point out came on the field and actually was pretty effective. And, and while it's may not be completely fair to Pablo, because obviously Vancouver's changed their game and their strategy at this point, uh, of the, of the game by the time Thomas comes in, but I'll be damned if that, Kid from Arkansas wasn't way better almost immediately at the things this team needed than Pablo had been over the last, I don't know, two games or so.
0: Yeah, you know, his style fits the team better. Um, He's been playing in the academy, obviously, which is the same kind of team. He's been playing with some of the same players. You know, he knows how to play in this American verticality that we have. He is the best on ball player that FC Dallas has, regardless of age. You know His ball skill is the best in the team. So uh, there was a really weirdness to the FC Dallas lineup at that point, actually, because he slotted in sort of between Barrios and um, Andresic at that point, sort of playing into that left channel a little bit. And and uh, Baji was playing as a high striker next to Andresic, and that left the whole right side of the field open for Reynolds, which was a lot of fun to watch. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the uh, chances of seeing Thomas go forward. I have some thoughts about all that kind of stuff, but we'll get into that when we get about – get into the game about what's going forward. But I agree that Roberts, and I don't know if Dan agrees with me, but I thought Roberts actually looked really exciting for the, uh, what was it, 20 minutes he was in there? I
2: was going to say, uh, yeah, he, he looked really comfortable on the ball. He was, uh, it was, it was the Thomas Roberts we watch in the academy, the the comfort, the swagger. Maybe he doesn't always look totally assured, but, you know, you know, mentally he's, he's a, a page ahead of everyone. Um, one thing one answer, you know, one th- question we'll never really have an answer to is, if it was Roberts for Rengiz instead of Andrasek and he did have those extra twenty minutes, you know, would it have been a different end?
0: Well, that'd been an interesting question. You would have had him as a pure ten, um, and Jesus would have stayed up top. I mean, that that might have been my instincts because that would have been more of a direct change for change. But, you know, Lucci has a lot of confidence in, in uh, Ferreira as a 10. So uh, he has played there a bunch in the academy. So that's something like, again, we can talk Ferre- about.
2: later. Ferreira also wasn't, he wasn't really getting it done up front. I mean, he hadn't, didn't have a shot on target, had the, the four missed, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, about the you know the massive hole in the midfield. He was coming back to to midfield enough that he may as well have been attend the whole game.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, and not to continue to pile on the Dresnik um, uh, train or whatever you want to call it. Uh, thirty minutes, and his stat line is this: thirty minutes, three fouls committed, and four touches of the ball.
0: Yeah, it wasn't good. I he had four whole passes. <laughs> you know, it's I, I don't part of that too is the short circuit in terms of Dallas being unable to get the ball to their center striker. I mean, for only had 45 touches and a lot of those were when he came back to midfield. Um, so some of that is a total disconnect, but I, you know, Oh, do we want to get into this again about Andrésic? I mean, no. I feel like we've beaten the crap out of this. It's yeah. not, it's just not good enough. No, it's, it's, it's not.
1: And, you know, Dan, we haven't heard from you in a few weeks or in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, uh, you know, while this team has struggled, I'm, I'm interested in your just kind of your perspective and your perception of uh, of what is ailing the team or where you think it's at at this point.
2: I mean, you're saying take Paul McCall out of the team. You take a lot of the creativity um, that, What's going on with the midfield three is is, is still troubling. Um, you yeah, have gone from last year having that zone 14 hole to having the hole the whole just shift slightly further back. Um, you know, it's having this kind of hard double pivot as opposed to what we saw earlier in the season where, you know, you had like more of a 6-8-10, uh, albeit staggered, um, it just seems to be falling away a little bit. We are definitely seeing more of a swing back to the Luchi ball style, which is is nice. It's not the most entertaining brand of football to watch, but uh, you know, the more they play it, the more they're going to get the job done. Uh, although that said, the two uh, the two clear attacks did come off of counter attacks. Um, they're still they're still setting in the ways. They're still trying to really. Put their stamp on things, develop their style, and and create their identity.
1: So we're now done with the month of May, and which typically is a generally a pretty good month for this club. And now we start to get into the stretch that historically uh, has. Been a bit of a, a sticky wicket for this club. And maybe that's a good thing because we've had so many years in a row where this team has started off very hot and then just completely deflated as the season went on. So maybe uh, this will be the inverse of that, where a, a kind of a slow, sputtery start uh, blossoms into something that LA and uh, Seattle have enjoyed over the years. Uh, June lines up like this this Saturday at home versus Seattle. Then they go away a week later against San Jose. Then they have the midweek F, uh, not FA Cup. I'm stupid. Am I? US Open Cup game, uh, which will be played at SMU against, uh, OKC. And then they're home against, uh, Toronto and then home again against Vancouver, which is a Wednesday night. And then they travel that weekend, uh, to go to Portland as Portland is now off the snide on their, Uh, A new stadium uh, construction is complete, and I think they open there this weekend. I can't remember if it's this weekend or next weekend. So that lines up a pretty busy June for a team that's going to be struggling to uh, field a bunch of players.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the best we can hope for is that um, if you're thinking purely of an FC Dallas perspective, is that the U.S. loses soon in the U-20s, and you get uh, Soria, who's going to be a starter because um, Grezz will be gone and you get Paxton back. Those will be two pretty big pieces. And then and maybe even Serveni will see some time uh, you know, over that stretch because you're going to be missing Acosta too. So, um, you know, th- there are some games in there at home that you can win. It's going to be important to try and get back on your feet, try and get the season turned around, if you're thinking in terms of any kind of real playoff competition. But I think it's also important to remember that uh, we've talked for quite a long time uh, about how this was a – I'm not going to call it a rebuild season, but this is a progress season in the terms of like shifting of your philosophy to young kids and and, and uh, trying to sort of start over in many ways. And there's going to be some pieces leaving over the course of this season, I think, uh, and some pieces coming in. So uh, the next stretch is important. It's not going to be the end of the world if this team just sort of holds water for the next month. Actually, missing who you're going to be missing, you might just be real excited to hold water over the next course of the month.
1: And then earlier this week, Buzz, you wrote an article for the Morning News uh, kind of outlining the one danger game or the one really interesting uh, scenario, which is the game away at San Jose yeah. where uh, the club really may struggle to uh, field a full 18.
0: Yeah, if, uh, if the U.S. wins on Tuesday and so you don't get those three kids back, uh, Acosta and and Grezzo uh, are leaving after this weekend's game. Um, I have not seen the final U.S. roster, but if Reggie gets picked for the get- cut, a Gold Cup, he'll be leaving after this weekend's Game 2. So you're missing. That's six guys. Now Pablo Arangis is gone. That's seven. Um, and Santiago, Santiago Mosquera is still hurt. That's eight. Uh, and then Ziegler may or may not be recovered by then. We're not sure, but we can assume he will be. But either way, you're, you're down to basically uh, – 14 field players, which is actually the rule. Like if you have 14 available, then you can't sign an a hardship player. So if they pick up another injury or two, they might be able to pick up a, a hardship player. Uh, presumably they would look to their own academy for that because you're only talking about a game or two that that could happen. The one part that I find particularly interesting if you're into the new rules kind of shenanigans with this league, which can be crazy, um, is that Atua Hene, Francis Atua Hene and Christian Coleman are actually not – On the injury list anymore, despite the fact that neither one of them is going to play because they're they're months from a month from being back in shape again, theoretically, they're not hurt anymore. So do those guys count? If they count, if you can roster them, which I have no reason to think you can't, it all of a sudden is way harder for FC Dallas to try and add an emergency player because theoretically those guys can play. So it's it's going to be really interesting on that San Jose game to see if Dallas can manage to field a team at all. It's going to be really crazy if if the U.S. is still in it, who they have to try and put out in an eleven.
1: Yeah, I thought you know the thing about Coleman is interesting because obviously everybody knows he's nowhere near ready to play, um, uh, coming off a, a pretty uh, severe knee injury, uh, right? And so he, but he's not listed as injured. But nope. he can't play, and so that makes me wonder who's making the decisions, or what are the rules specific around that type of scenario where a player is in rehab and not available, uh, and then could, and you know, to your point, Buzz, uh, you know, create this really weird situation that because he's not listed as injured, he keeps the team from being able to call up a hardship. Uh, a signing. So I, I wonder, I, I would love to know more about how that's all being decided and who makes that decision. Does the club decide not to list him as injured? Does the league say you can't? I, I, that's the part that's, I think, all very fuzzy to most of us.
0: Yeah, you know, this is a league in trans uh, transition still. You know, it's coming from what, at best, we could have all called a league sort of status over its first years. And oh. now it's becoming a big-time huge league. So it's like things like that are getting more attention. And we don't really know the answer, um, you know. From from the club's response, apparently, the minute that the the medical doctors say that there's no longer any physical injury, they put them on the uh, list. They're not on the IR anymore. So, I, you know, I, you can come off of a knee injury like this and still be months from being able to play, and yet he's not technically hurt anymore. So I it's a real mystery. I, I, I would like to ask some questions over time and try and get an answer to this. I don't know that it's the kind of thing that they're going to talk a lot about the team or the league. We may have to try and dig out some unofficial answers that we can sort of talk about. This is just, it's sort of weird. I mean, you know, you know, you know how this league is. They don't like to talk about this kind of thing. You know, it's, Shenanigans again, you know. I, I don't. I don't know what to, to say, really.
1: I can't even get anybody from the uh, the headquarters in New York to respond to the multiple emails I've sent asking them to please put me in touch with somebody who can clearly explain the kit assignment uh, rules and how they make decisions on who wears what and and all of those things because it just seems to be this most willy-nilly thing. And you would think that would be the easiest conversation in the world to have with somebody, but I can't get anybody. From Dan Quartermanch all the way down the line to respond to an email uh, saying, yeah, we'd love to have this conversation. Or even, no, Peter, F off. We're not bothering with you. That's none of your business. It is what it is. I can't get yeah. anybody to respond. And, and just to note, it's not like they haven't responded to my emails in the past. I've gotten responses to emails to things that they're happy to answer. But if yeah. I can't get answers about kit assignments, you're, you're right, Buzz. We're never going to get an answer about how yeah. injury decisions are made. Well, here, here's the one thing I will
0: add to this conversation about injuries is that I have been told once or twice that there's this page on the uh, league website that's – that not the not the team's website, but the league website that has a roster. And it divides into its slots of things like internationals and supplemental rosters and all that kind of garbage that most mm-hmm. people don't care about except for us, right? Well, on that page, it actually has the statuses of people, and I'm told that that is – about as an official of a roster as anyone is ever going to give you. And on that page, it still says uh, that Christian Coleman and Francis uh, Tuahine are quote unquote, if you will, rostered as injured. Now, do you want to make an argument that that's a different than the MLS injury report? I mean, who knows? So it may be a case that those guys still count as injured, even though they're not injured because Dallas says they're injured. I mean, you're getting into the of roster rules, and this is MLS, and honestly, they make this shit up sometimes as they go. So the bottom line is right now Dallas has too many players to be able to sign an emergency signing. They're not going to be able to get one. So um, the rest of this is just craziness that this league sometimes is so
2: hard to get a finger on. Dan, aren't you glad you
1: moved to the United States? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah uh i will say that uh that roster page that buzz is talking about that is actually a copy of the spreadsheet that the league sends every team every week which uh contains like the information for suspensions as well as things like ir yeah um obviously there's a few more details in the spreadsheet but um you know when you get you know when you see it it's uh kind of it is the bible uh but yeah um Really is, and as far as I was told um, last year regarding something about uh, Tua Hene and uh, Tumasi when they were switching back and forth, that that take that as gospel. Interesting.
0: Yeah, so that comes back to the weirdness of are they, they're not actually injured and listed as, quote, injured on the roster, which is different than, I don't know, man. Who knows? <laughs>
2: It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, like when they pull back the curtain, it's just Garb is actually like a really tiny, tiny person and actually has green skin. <laughs> like is Kermit the frog? <laughs> no, uh, Kermit doesn't have ears. Oh, does he not? Huh? He's a frog. That's true. Frogs don't have ears? Maybe he's just got Mickey Mouse ears and that's, that's the story of them. I'm so confused.
1: All right, so Saturday, I have great news for you guys. You guys are going to be so excited to hear this news. I've been waiting for 30 minutes now to tell you this. Baldomero Toledo will be our referee on Saturday.
0: Yes! Oh, I was going to bring that up. You beat me to it.
2: (laughs) Um, it, We don't have Blas Perez in Dallas anymore, so is is there a problem?
1: Uh, That's right. I forgot they were BFFs. Uh, Seattle comes into town. they are in third place. Uh, they have 26 points after 14 games, so they have eight more points than Dallas. Uh, now they are they only have one win uh, on the road this season, but uh, they have uh, they've been in pretty good form of late. Now they have um, they have one loss in their last seven games, but in their last seven, they're two, four, and one. They've got four draws and they did lose their last game. Which was their first loss, uh, since, uh, back in, uh, late April. They did lose at Sporting KC in a kind of a goofy game, 3-2. Um, and this, w- this week also was a big deal for the Sounders because they officially announced the retirement of Chad Marshall. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, so, th- you know, they haven't had him for a while and their other center back, Kim Kihi, uh, apparently has a knee injury. I will note this before I, I turn this over to you guys. I did enjoy the uh, hilarity on the FC Dallas website because the match preview, uh, section on the homepage, it's subtitled title is Set the Stage, Dallas Returns Home Against Shorthanded Sounders. Now, I find that to be (laughs) interesting considering Dallas's situation being shorthanded. The Sounders are nowhere near as shorthanded as Dallas is, Um, although uh, Seattle after this weekend probably will end up being uh, close to uh, the same because they got a lot of call-ups for Gold Cup as
2: well. Well, they're also gonna—they're uh, losing Lodero for the uh, Copa America, but he's also suspended for this weekend's game. So they are short-handed. But if you want to call them short-handed, you'd have to say that FC Dallas are handless. <laughs> <laughs> Good
1: one. <laughs> uh, it does set up an interesting game because Seattle has proven to be a kind of a resilient squad this year. They've—you uh, um, know—they've—they've they've battled pretty strong, and—and and, uh, you know. Obviously, we've talked at length about the the uh, downsides and kind of shortcomings of Dallas, and Lucci's got his uh, his uh, work cut out for him on Saturday night. Yeah, it's
0: funny when you think about it. Uh, they only have two more wins than Dallas, which is weird. <laughs> they already have five ties in the season. That's yeah. crazy. They're turning losses into ties. that That's a that's a hallmark of Dallas' teams under Perea, you remember, was turning losses into ties. But if we want to talk about what Dallas is going to uh, roll out there, um, when you when you've lost, I uh, haven't won a game, and what is it six now? And you go through the worst one of your worst months of all time. You know, you have to take a lot of these ideas with grains of salt because you never know what a coach is going to do when he's panicking because he hasn't won a game in a month. But um, I'm going to I'm going to say that uh, what I hear is that uh, Ziegler may not quite be back yet; that um, his groin. Uh, tightness maybe lingering, or maybe they just want to be careful. But either way, uh, Hedges is back. So I'm assuming, I'm going to guess you're going to get a Bresson-Hedges uh, combo, um, which leaves you either Nelson or said at left back. I I, th- I kind of lean in towards Nelson at this point. I think he's done a pretty remarkable job every game he's played. I, I kind of I think the way Lucci thinks these days, which is his young guys have been better for him than old guys, so he might go with Nelson again. On the right, I actually think Cannon needs a game off. Uh, he looked a little ragged last game, so maybe flip a coin there as to whether you might get Cannon or maybe Hollingshead at right back. I, I, I'm not going to suggest Reynolds. Not that I don't want to see Reynolds play, but um, when you are losing games to throw in another 17-year-old kid who has never started a game, that doesn't sound like something Lucci would do. Uh, I feel like Lucci was more, more than likely, might you might see a Nelson-Hollingshead at right back combo than you might not just because of the idea of giving Cannon a game off, because particularly because he's going to theoretically leave soon anyway for the Gold Cup, and you got to figure out who the heck's going to play right back. Um, Grezzo's back. I'll assume he'll play this time. Um, again, he's leaving after this game, um, which leaves you and probably Acosta, uh, in the midfield with him. Now, the real fun, the real question is what you're going to do at Arangis' spot. Um, do you go with Thomas Roberts, Thomas who. Rob- Thomas Roberts is super exciting, and that's that's the least amount of changes. Um, I don't think it would be the triple holding mid with Hayes in there. That really didn't work when they tried it twice. So uh, it's either Thomas for me or it's Jesus Ferreira um, at the end of the game, bringing him back and playing as a 10. You know, Lucci likes that. He's gone to it a couple times late in games lately. I'm going to bet on Roberts. Uh, That's the vibe I'm getting from around the world. Uh, around the world around the neighborhood excuse me not around the world um mostly because it leaves the front line intact which has been decent the last couple of games with baji Farreja and barrios and it would be a lot of fun to see thomas pulling the strings with that trio up front to see if they can get behind seattle and make seattle sit deep and not uh you know press high that that'll be kind of fun cuz you I would think it's if you're Seattle you wouldn't want to come in against that trio and press high because it leaves you a ton of space behind which is where Barrios and Baji will kill you do so do you think
1: do you think that if they play with Roberts in that do they line that up in the same way they started off the season with Grezo, Acosta and uh Pomacall with those three or is it uh and if they do that who's playing the six in that situation is it Jacory or is it Acosta yeah.
0: Well, no, I think it's Grezzo. Oh, it's, that's
1: right. If, if, if Grezzo, available. Grezzo
0: plays. Sorry. I forgot yeah, Grezzo. A, that's right. I forgot. Right. Grezzo can play the single six. So if it's Grezzo, then I think you get your Roberts Acosta dual eights like uh, when Paxton's in town. So that's the big thats the big swing right there. If Grezzo can go, then it's back to the single pivot with two eights. If Grezzo can't go, and I don't know why he couldn't, he's been cleared to play for a week and a half now. Um then you're going to get a Hayes Acosta deep combo with Roberts as a pure 10. So that's where you'll get the pivot in midfield and which one it will go. Depends 100% on whether it's Grezzo or not, which is why I think it'll be Grezzo. Because once you, go, you cause the other person that can do it is Surreal. So if Cerillo's coming back, maybe not this weekend, maybe it's next weekend, but Cerillo's coming back right when Grezzo's leaving. So then you Surreal can go single pivot too, and so you can go back to your Dulates again. So
2: either way, it's I think that's the way forward. Ha- can we establish a quick thing after Peter... Uh- after Peter whispered Thomas Roberts in response to Thomas Roberts name being said, yeah, that needs to be a thing. <laughs> Anytime somebody says Thomas Roberts, someone's just walking down the street. Thomas Roberts, Thomas <laughs> Roberts, Thomas Roberts. <laughs> he's the whisperer.
1: You know, I uh, have this weird uh, FC Dallas fantasy. Thomas Roberts uh, proves out that he actually can do this at this level. Uh, And before they sell him off to Bayern Munich here in the near future, we actually see uh, a double eight lineup of blonde haired Fury uh, with him and Paxton. Oh, Uh, God, that would be so wonderful uh, to see those two guys uh, just running about, just, you know, spraying passes left and right one touch. Well, if that happens, if that happens, it'll be
0: over the next stretch and it wouldn't just be those two. It would also be surreal. So you'd be you'd get a full uh, 18, 18 and 20. (laughs) <laughs> Central midfield,
1: that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So uh, Seattle's in town on Saturday. That game starts at seven o'clock. Uh, the other thing, uh, it is uh, a special night. It is Pride Night, and I don't know if anybody noticed. This is Dallas's turn to uh, pick up uh, on the on the league wide uh, Gay Pride theme. I guess they get their special training shirts this weekend. Uh, I don't know if anybody else got a a, a, ch- a hearty. Quiet chuckle to themselves when they noticed that <laughs> that nothing in any of the notes promoting the game uh, remembered to mention that it was also Gay Pride Night at the stadium uh, this weekend.
2: That's an FC Dallas thing and a, a league wide thing. You know, this whole soccer for all. It's it's you know June is LGBTQ Pride Month, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna have the rainbows. We're gonna say like don't discriminate against people, but we're not going to use words like gay and lesbian and homophobia. We're going to make it really generic. And that's, you know, that's FC Dallas as well. Let's, let's not offend the Collin County soccer moms, but you know, we're actually getting strong armed into doing something.
1: You know, Dan, I'm glad you're back because last week I promoted uh, a discussion of a topic, and and uh, we I forgot to get to it. But now that you're here, you can help uh, fill in some color. I noticed that it's now is it uh, colored smoke? That's right. It, it is uh, is uh, it's now legal to smoke at Toyota Stadium? What is the story behind the surprise introduction of smoke in the beard garden? I know I, I've been told there's a a crazy long uh, set of drama and story behind that.
2: Um, yeah, the supporters groups have been fighting hard to, to get that for mm, probably six odd years now, six, seven years, um, you know. Um, FC Dallas said, "Oh, you know, it's it's a league policy that smoke isn't allowed." And it's like, well, and then you know, and then the argument back is, "Well, why are they showing Portland and Orlando and
1: Atlanta. whoever else?" And everyone, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and they said, "Oh, well, now it's the now it's the Frisco Fire Marshal." Yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. And then uh, someone actually had the brilliant idea to call the Frisco Fire Marshal, who kind of went, "I mean, theoretically, if you wanted to." To do something at a public event, you'd need a license. But yeah, we haven't spoken to anyone about it. Um, last year, I mean, I, I was still involved with supporters' groups and in those meetings last year. And last year, a proposal was made for a particular type of smoke bomb that doesn't involve like a real spark, so there's no real uh, risk of fire. You um, know, obviously these are pyrotechnic devices for the most part. Uh, You know, and and the front office said, no, they'd require a 48-hour fire watch. Uh, Fans went, cool, we'll keep it in a bucket of sand and keep an eye on it for two days. That's no problem. Uh, Well away from the stadium in the city. And I said, oh, you know, you can't do that. It has to be us. And we're not going to do that because that would be us on the clock for 48 hours straight. And then fast forward a year later and the front office came back with the same proposal that the supporters groups made to them the year before.
1: What do you, wait us uh, again?
2: They waited a year and then made the same proposal back to the supporters groups that the supporters groups had made to them. Oh. <laughs> um, so currently there are, I think, it's three or four uh, poles which have a front office supplied uh, smoke grenade. Um, there are. Two people who are the presidents of El Matador and um, the Dallas Beer Guardians, they have been trained uh, to set those off. Um, They're allowed to kick off half time, um, start the second half uh, after a win, (laughs) after a goal. It's, um, it's the most
1: American not, thing ever. You yeah, think about they're
2: not being set off by the front <laughs> office because that would kind of invalidate the entire thing. Um, there are, is some talk about trying to get a few more of those stations and train a few more people up. Uh, I was actually speaking to Luis, the president of uh, El Matador, yesterday, and he said they're uh, trying also push for on July 4 having uh, red, white, and blue smoke. So that would look pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, it just, uh, you think about all of the, uh, stands and supporters groups around the world, uh, you know, in South America and in Europe, and they're firing off like <laughs> Roman candles and all sorts of crazy stuff. And here in the United States, we have to screw it together as, as tightly as, as can be. So. Uh, well, at, least at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, it was, it looked fantastic when I saw it. So I'm glad it's happening. I it just, when you hear the behind the scenes and the, and yeah. the ridiculousness to just do that, uh, it, you know, uh, you just, you just, well, let's give a,
0: it. let's give a little bit of love to Jimmy Smith, who from my non supporter section perspective seems to be like, since he got involved over the winter, there seem to have been a lot of positive changes for me,
2: uh, uh coming from him,
0: yeah, involving the sport of shield and involving atmosphere in the game. So uh, credit to whoever decided to let him get involved and credit to him for uh, pushing it forward.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, Jimmy Smith. Do you want the story of how he got involved? Well,
1: first off, why, sure. na- why don't one of you tell everybody who Jimmy Smith is? Because I'm going to guess 90% of the people listening to this podcast have never even heard his name, much less know what his role is in the front office.
2: Uh, so Jimmy Smith is the chief financial and chief operating officer of FC Dallas. Um he is effectively the person that runs the show because it's really not Dan Hunt. Um, nothing goes on without without Jimmy's say, essentially. Um, so there was a letter, an open letter sent by the Dallas Beer Guardians over the winter that was uh, very very testy. Um, Famous maybe a open little, letter. Yeah, maybe a little harsh in a couple areas and a little lenient in others, but uh, that found its way to him and uh, he coordinated to start sitting in on meetings and, and have a meeting in preseason with the supporters groups to address the concerns. And uh, he is uh, definitely more for having a, a nice uh, environment where everyone gets along where there's been uh, a lot of friction in the past. I mean, I mentioned, you know, there's been like seven years trying to get those, uh, those smoke devices, uh, the nets that, uh, you see the, the TIFOs hung off now. That was also, that was another debate that started in 2012 actually. And that only, you know, came to fruition last year. Um, there were years of, well, we can't let you use our pulleys, but we can let you use another set of pulleys, but that costs 10 grand and we're not going to pay it.
1: <laughs> this makes me laugh. Um, well, we have smoke, we have tifo, um, and everybody over in the Beer Guardian is is doing their best. And um, and again, the highlight
2: of all of it is the
1: guest playing the trombone. Anyway, so just more trombone as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, El high and Charlie.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, other note: We also had a historic happening this week as North Texas Soccer Club suffered its first loss, and it did so up in Toronto, Everett. losing three uh, two, or was it four three? Uh-oh. I can't remember. 4-3. Uh,
0: 4-3. Four, three.
1: Four, three. First loss ever for the club in uh, an exciting game. Wait, wasn't that 3-2? Or was it 3-2? I don't remember. Uh, I don't
0: know, man. I don't. I forget to actually look up the scores of these games before we yeah, do the show. Yeah,
1: it was 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. Hey, don't worry, everybody. It's a free podcast. You didn't pay to listen to this damn thing, so you get what you pay for. Uh, And, you know, <laughs> this is one of those— uh, I did find it very weird that on the same day that the European— uh, Europa Cup Final was being played. I couldn't find an English broadcast version of the Europa Cup, but somehow, through the miracle of the internet, I was able to watch north texas play toronto 2 uh, with multiple That's... cameras and in english uh in real time live it was in replay i couldn't believe i was watching this now it was the worst camera angle i uh, oh could gosh. possibly imagine but i just found that really weird that i couldn't watch the europa cup final in english but i could watch uh north texas and toronto 2 battle it out on the turf
2: well, yeah, that's because they couldn't field. find your um an English broadcaster with an adequate view of the field. It was so far away.
1: Yeah, that whole your Euro, that Europa Cup <laughs> broadcast was that, that that was like the blimp cam uh, view. If you're a tactics person, it's the best view possible. But for everybody else, uh, it it wasn't very good at the Chelsea Arsenal game. Um, uh, guys, I just you know I, I was watching this game and I realized he had an opportunity that he banged off the uh the upright on the right, but. Ricardo Pepe finished a ball to tie the game at 2-2. I think it made it 2-2. Um, that, uh, I tweeted out because I, as soon as it happened, I thought to myself, how many times have I watched an FC Dallas professional, veteran, highly paid, uh, experienced player completely bonk that exact same scenario in the last five years? And I could name, I could think of multiple times in multiple players, but Ricardo Pepe, I I'm really hoping this kid turns out to be the real deal. And we see him in a senior shirt sooner than later.
0: Well, the hype train is real for sure. Uh, and I would say that all signs are, and I completely agree that the kid is a hundred percent for real. It's, it's only a matter of time uh, yet. It's important to remember that he is only 16. Still, so we don't want to get too carried away too fast, but he is absolutely a player that will have MLS level impact inside of like We'll say the next two seasons. I don't think he'll spend more than one season with North Texas. I think he'll be with MLS next year. So, yes, he is for real. Yes, he won't be the opening day starter in 2020, but um, he's going to move in that direction. The kid has unbelievable instincts, an unbelievable body for the league. He's the right size, needs a little more upper body mass, but that's because he's 16. You know, he's going to fill out, he's going to be fine. He's got all the tools you need to be a frontline legitimate nine-strike type striker that can dominate MLS uh, if he sticks around long enough in MLS to do so.
1: I'm interested, uh, and I don't know Dan if you want to participate in this, but Buzz, I'm sure you will since this is really your wheelhouse. If you had to like line out uh, the top ten uh, academy, uh, you know, full-on top-level potential uh of and and you can even go all the way to paxton guys that are playing on the senior team if you could could you list that out of who you think has the ultimate most potential down from like the next five six seven to ten players i think that'd be fascinating
2: can i cut in a sec yeah Yeah. um i actually need to run so can you finish without me yes we'll finish without you awesome i look forward to listening to the last few minutes
1: Yes, Dan, well, if you've got to go, you've got to go. We all understand you have Cotillion tonight. Yeah, have a good time.
2: The hell is that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look it up. It's funny.
2: It's not a board game, is it? Uh, It could be, yes. That sounds fun. All right, take care, gents. Have a good day. Tally ho. See you later. Tally ho. Go
1: ahead, Buzz.
0: Uh, I assume you mean relatively currently. You don't want to go back to uh, Funis Moria and, no, and no, such no, no, nonsense. No, no, <laughs> I no.
1: Mean, I mean, of the current group of players, the current group. Uh, okay. uh, uh, starting with Paxton and all the way down, who do you think yeah. has really the most potential, whether they be on FC Dallas or North Texas or they're even down on one of the, you know, it's like a 13-year-old yeah. wonder kid?
0: Yeah. Um, well, the highest ceiling right now for me is Pepe. Um, he really does have the tools to be just a spectacular kind of generational player for the United States. If he's, if he sticks to the United States, um, after him is, uh, is for me is, is Paxton and Chris Kappas. I have right there together. I actually liked, uh, I, I, like personally like Kappas better than I actually like Paxton, which is amazing because Paxton is phenomenal, but there's something about Chris Kappa's game that really speaks to me in terms of his will and determination so far. Unfortunately, it's not really showing up, um, in Norway. So, um, that, that's, that's why those guys are kind of together. After that, you have to go down, um, past the 19s, I guess for the next best player. I'm
1: interested because you've previously said you thought Thomas Roberts had a higher ceiling than Paxton. Uh,
0: I do. I do think that you're right. Thank you. Um, he's a better pure ball player. My only worry about Thomas is that if he does go to Byron, that he, he might, he could get lost. You know, it's 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 one of those things where uh, you you look, you look at the you look at the Bayern team and you look at how good they are. Um, you wonder if a guy that goes there is going to be able to actually break into their team. You know, it may take if you if you send Thomas Roberts over there, it's going to take him longer than it would if he was here to break into somebody else's pro team. Probably, he's going to have to eventually probably be sold to somebody in order to start getting first team minutes. It's one of the real interesting parts about going to Germany. So you're right. I, I he, he passed through my brain. He he actually has higher upside for me than Paxton does. Paxton right now is clearly a better player. So Thomas would have been number two after Pepe. So that's my bad. All
1: right.
0: And then I have to think about. Thank you for reminding me. And then I have to think about um, the rest of the teams for just a second. I think if you had to go down to um, the seventeens again um, for me, there's a kid named Diego Latif in the seventeens who who's recently gotten into the Mexico youth teams. I think he's got spectacular upside. Um, what position is he? He's a holding mid for the 17s and he's not a, um, he's not like a crunching tackler. Uh, there's not that kind of holding mid. He's more like a, uh, cerebral, uh, holding mid more, more like a, like a Sergio baskets kind of holding mid. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying he's that good. I'm just saying that in terms of the upside for me, I, I think he's particularly good. Um, I think you have to include right about that same level, maybe a tick. That is where you get to Edwin Cerillo, who I've been raving about for about a year and a half now. Um, uh, oh, I should probably. Uh, so I'm doing this off of my head, so I apologize. I need to stick Richards in there somewhere. Uh, Richards uh, probably needs to go up with Thomas Roberts as the most potential. Yeah, um, I really wanted to the limit. Team.
1: I wanted to limit it to players that are still with the club. Oh, okay, um, good.
0: Yeah. Then let's forget Richards then.
1: Um, and then below uh,
0: Lateef and Surrio, you get a you get a grouping of about um, for me six or seven guys. Um, Tanner Tessman is in there. I think Tanner Tessman is going to be a, a great MLS player. The brothers, uh, uh, the younger brother David Rodriguez is uh, has a lot of potential and a lot of upside. He's a he's a very creative kind of player in a Paxton Pomico kind of way. I think he. if if you're thinking along the lines of eventually Pomichol is going to leave David Rodriguez is probably your eventual replacement in that sort of, uh, eight to 10 kind of role that, that creative role. I like Arturo, but I don't, he doesn't have the upside for me that his younger brother David does. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, the left back and the 15s, Jonathan Gonzalez is spectacularly good. Tons of upside. Um, Kevin Benia, the right back with the 19s is in the same sort of mode. Um, jata a to a to a hene jasa i think it's how you say it um who's the kid that plays the gambian we call him the gambian pogba jokingly but he plays as a, as a six in the in the senior team i think he actually has a lot of upside too i probably put him ahead of guys like Tessman and, and david david rodriguez in terms of his upside because he's such a humongous massive player with range and such good touch and skill and passing skill so uh, I'm super excited about his potential and how they found him is a miracle. He basically just fell into their laps. It's crazy how good he is. Um, and then below that, you get into guys like um, Nico Carrera, who's a center back with the 17s I really like. Um, I think the 17s goalkeeper, Seth Wilson, has got a huge upside, but that's that's way down the road because he doesn't have you – know, goalkeepers take a lot longer. If you want to go all the way down to the 15s, you have Antonio Carrera, who's um, Nico's younger brother, is a goalkeeper with spectacular pro, pro potential as a center back. Um, Wait, a
1: goalkeeper or is there a center back?
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Goalkeeper. Oh, his okay. older brother is a, a center back. His younger brother, Antonio, is a goalkeeper. Um, there's a striker uh, with the 15s that's interesting. Uh, Baron Drormer, I think is how you say his name. He's pretty exciting with the um, the 15s so far. It'd be interesting to see if he keeps up. Mandilla uh, is their really exciting center back with the 15s. Ty Reynolds is a uh, Brian Reynolds' younger brother. With the 15s, is pretty good. Um, you're starting to get in a territory where you just you really have no idea how guys are going to grow and prog- progress uh, with their bodies. That can really change a whole lot. And if you want to go all the way down to the 14s, um, there's a left back that I really really like named uh, Nolan Norris. Um, Knighty Pickering is pretty interesting. One of their strikers, Antonio Ramirez, is a uh, probably their best player right now. He's a creative sort of, um, a lot like Jesus Ferreira actually. Antonio, uh, Anthony Ramirez, um, sort of that that's, that that ten nine, combo player. Maybe an off striker is in the future if his game progresses like, based on what it is now. And and they actually have a um that team has a kid that plays holding mid for them, who is playing up a level actually from the thirteens. And I, I know this is really starting to stretch, but. Um, he's really good. Matthew, uh, how do I say this? Conkren C O N C O R A N Matthew Conkren. He's, um, I believe that's the guy I'm thinking of is pretty interesting player. So I'm starting to stretch it a little bit by, by going that's all fine. the way down to 13s, no, I, but no, you did great. Uh, I, I, I just,
1: a, I, in watching Pepe, I just wondered where you felt he let, he fell in, in terms of the total potential. He's number one. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, he,
0: he has, he has basically, uh, all the raw tools that you'd want to be like a, um, frontline legitimate international striker, uh, you know, for your country. I mean, I'm talking about playing in the world cup level ability. So, you know, you never know what the kid can, is he actually going to progress, but he's the only player that right now that I, I think progresses to that top best player for your country kind of player.
1: All right, and uh, Buzz, uh, this weekend also is the second leg of the Chisholm Trail Derby. Between, Classic. Uh, oh, Chisholm Trail Classic, pardon yeah. moi, between the Fort Worth Vaqueros and Denton Diablos of the NPSL.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of supporting local soccer. And and for me, when you have two teams that, uh, with one of them being brand new, but it is a local rivalry, it is something we... Are trying to pay attention to more than non-rivalry games, and uh, it's going to be exciting. It's game two of the that's uh, going to decide their little belt they're going to war between each other, and they have a great atmosphere. They don't have a problem with smoke bombs; <laughs> they got lots of smoke bombs at those games. Um, you know, good, good, good supporters, crowds doing the drumming, doing the chanting. You know, it's a s- smaller venues. The, this game's at Farrington Field, um, which has a track around it, which kind of limits it, makes it not quite as great, but um, as it is, what if you're right on top of it? But uh, it's a great venue with a great view of downtown, and 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 those teams are playing some good soccer. Well, they're completely different kind of teams. One is they, they has gone the route Diablos of the college kids that are playing uh, for free in the summer, that, that some of whom are um, FC Dallas future pros potentially, like Brandon uh, Turwig who plays at SMU now. Um, and then forqueros has gone the other route. There, uh, lately, they're actually paying their players for the first time, so. They're full-boat semi-pro, and they've got some guys that double-dip with the sidekicks that are probably some of the better players in town, uh, short of Riados, who, of course, are the spectacular amateur team in Dallas. But, um, you know, it's a a great local uh, game, and it's a great local product, and I'm going to be at that game uh, over the FC Dallas game because I've made promises to people to try and cover them a little bit. So uh, we're going to give it some love, and I'm going to be out there. I hope other people, will. if you're on the west side of town and want to come out and watch – your Fort Worth team, play your Denton team. It's going to be a fun game.
1: That's pretty amazing. Buzz Carrick is going to a Fort Worth versus Denton NPSL game over FC Dallas and Seattle uh, for Major League Soccer. That's pretty... uh, pretty
0: Well, you know, I got to put my money where my mouth is, right? I'm the one that says it's been saying support local soccer. So here's a chance for two of them to play together. And and I don't go to all their games, but it's a rivalry game. So I'm going to try and make this one. And I'll watch the Dallas game on my DVR. I'm not like Dan. I'll watch it later. (laughs) (laughs) There's 30, 34 FC Dallas games. And there's only, you know, 12 of these games. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to this one and, and cover it because I, uh, think it's important and so I'm going to do that and then I'll be but, but we'll cover FC Dallas like we always do I'll watch it and write my report just as always
1: you won't admit it but I know the reason why it's because Fort Worth and Denton both wear hoops and that's your favorite thing to yeah. you get your that uh, soccer pants all excited so that is a big part of it yeah. that is a huge part of it all right yeah. so that's uh, also on Saturday night um, well thank you and it's a pod first we had a uh, one of our hosts uh, leave in the middle of the pod we haven't yeah. had that happen before so no congratulations <laughs> congratulations to dan for being the uh, pioneer of that move um yeah. okay well uh thank you to dan for uh blowing out on us early and thank you buzz for all that insight and good information and uh fc dallas seattle saturday night 7 p.m and uh thank you good fc dallas fan we will talk to you next time on third degree the podcast